Hello listeners and welcome to our latest GCP short where we hear from our friends of the podcast for 2020 in their particular areas of expertise. Listeners may remember our second GCP short of the series where we heard from Maxis Global Benefits Network and partners on diversifying your captive with employee benefits and the advantages of doing that on 23rd of March. Well, today I'm going to speak to Karen Landry, Managing Partner at Spring Consulting Group. Karen and Spring have extensive experience with the United States Department of Labor. The DOL is important on the employee benefits and captive topic because their approval is needed if a captive wants to write ERISA benefits to its employees. In the US, ERISA refers to the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974. If a business wants to include US employee benefits in their captive, then it is likely they are going to need DOL approval. With that in mind, in the following 12 minutes, Karen provides an update on the DOL's approach to captives, what employers need to consider when applying, and the timelines involved. Well, Department of Labor approval is needed for certain types of employee benefits. Generally, uh, they're employee benefits that are subject to ERISA. What ERISA does is it prohibits what's known as a party and interest transaction. And often, if you have a captive that's owned by a company that is the plan sponsor of the ERISA plan, it would be a party and interest transaction and generally be prohibited. So the types of plans that are ERISA benefits are things like uh, life insurance, disability, first dollar health insurance, and those types of benefits, you have some extra requirements around ERISA, really because you get some tax preferences and some other benefits as an employer. Uh, They want to make sure that ultimately, if they're going to give you those benefits as an employer, that the plan participants are protected. And ERISA requires that you go through a DOL approval process because that transaction would normally be a prohibited transaction. There are two types of prohibited transactions generally. If you're a party in interest with regards to the plan, uh, it normally would be prohibited. Or if you're self-dealing with regards to the assets of the plan, it would be prohibited. So the DOL requires um, an employer that might be engaged in a prohibited transaction uh, to file an application to get a prohibited transaction exemption. What is the current Department of Labor outlook then, do you think, on captives and and captive-backed employee benefits programs? What's their attitude towards it? I think the Department of Labor is re-engaged on captive transactions. Is uh, I think you know the Department of Labor revisited their process. They wanted to move more towards a check-the-box approach to handling uh, prohibited transactions exemptions. And these exemptions that they wanted to revisit are the the ones that a, a captive would typically go through. There are a couple of exemptions, um, a statutory exemption if you have less than five percent of your writings in in your commercial insurer you can get out of going through a prohibited transaction exemption or if you can come under a class exemption that they have where you have 50 percent or more unrelated business you don't need to do it 
but then most of the uh, routes that captives go down are individual exemptions, and, and that would require the Department of Labor approval. And they have a standard process and an expro process that a captive can go through. Both of those processes have been revisited by the DOL, but they're open for business and moving forward now uh, with captive uh, programs. Well, one of the one of the buzzwords you mentioned there from well, I, I call it a buzzword, Karen, from a few years ago relating to a DOL was um, and captive applications is is XPro. Can you just explain to us a bit more detail what XPro is and why is it relevant? to uh, captives and, and, and this process of gaining DOL approval? Yeah. So as I mentioned um, recently, that there are two types of processes, a standard process and the expro or expedited process. The standard process, just to briefly explain that, is when an application is reviewed individually because there's some fact or circumstance that they haven't looked at before, that they need to take into consideration. And we currently have a filing in the DOL right now that falls into that category. The expedited process allowed applicants to apply for what's called a fast track approach if there were two substantially similar transactions subject to individual exemptions within the last five years or one uh, substantially similar exemption within the last 10 years And if you could craft your uh, application to mirror some of those that have gone before, you could fit into this XPRO box. That's really what's meant by the the XPRO uh, approach. So the Department of Labor is still open to that. At the present time, they haven't reviewed any XPRO filings. So I think they're cutting their teeth currently on an individual standard approach. Is it fair to say, Karen, that a few years ago now, there was kind of a, a bit of a, a rush on, rush might be the wrong word, maybe a bit too extreme, but it was, there was definitely a, a several ex-pro cases went through quite close together, I believe, a few years ago. And that seems to have dried up in the, in the last few years. So I think, you know, there there have been a man, a many companies that go through the ex-pro, have gone through the ex-pro route. I think that in the last year or so, uh, maybe even the last couple of years, uh, the Department of Labor had several changes in leadership that gave them probably different directions, and they revisited their processes. I think that that was why we didn't see a lot of clarity around the expro approach. I think they they have clarity, and they're moving forward to consider applications right now. That's a good sign, I believe. So whether it's expro or not, Karen, what are some of the things, what is the key information that needs to be provided in an application process to the DOL to add ERISA benefits to a captive? Because obviously one of the considerations for going through this process is the fact that these applications are or do end up being publicly available information. So organizations need to be aware of that. But what are some of the types of information that needs to be provided in, in, in that application? Sure. If you go through the DOL process, uh, they do have an application um, process that you have to go through. And it's not like a standard application, like you're filling out for opening a bank account or whatnot. It's more of a dialogue as to how the transaction is expected to to evolve. Uh, you have to provide an outline of it. And as part of the application, um, you, you have to uh, submit many appendices. Uh, so the beginning part 
it really is a, a dialogue as to how you comply with ERISA and why this transaction would be prohibited. It describes the transaction. You need to include some of the key elements of the feasibility study to outline the savings that would accrue. We would typically collect information and do that analysis for an employer. You have to have a certificate in good standing for the captive. You have to have the most recent audited financial statements. You have to have an independent fiduciary's report. And generally, there are a few attestations that the DOL requires you to make as part of uh, the application process. Once that's pulled together, what happens is uh, we typically you know, pull it together, submit it to the Department of Labor, and shepherd it through uh, the Department of Labor process, answering any questions that they might have. Often, the Department of Labor is focused around benefit enhancement, something required under the Department of Labor process, and we help them understand what the enhancements are as part of of the program um, and answer any questions that they have along the way. As the application moves through the process, ultimately what will occur is the Department of Labor will develop the exemption uh, for the filing, and that exemption will either become part of the Federal Register if it's a standard exemption, or if it's expro, will come out as an expro uh, filing. And it will become uh, public um, if it's expro. One of the other aspects that you need to include uh, is a notice to interested persons. So the employee is covered under the plan. It's a typical what I'll call a typical ERISA notice where interested persons, meaning your employees, would get it just like they get other ERISA notifications, just saying that the captive may be involved in the transaction and here are the benefit enhancements they'll receive as part of uh, utilizing this approach. In terms of a timeline then, Karen, what what kind of timeline are we looking at currently for, for Department of Labor applications? You know, the, as I mentioned, under a standard uh, process, There's not a specific timeline required. I do know that we submitted an application to the Department of Labor at the end of last year, and it's moving forward uh, as we speak to a a draft uh, exemption. So that's been the timeline on that front. With regards to the expro process, they have 45 days to give you tentative authorization with regards to the filing. And then you have to send that notice to interested persons out. And so when all is said and done, it's about 78, 80 days before the application is complete. And then in te- you, you mentioned there, of course, you've got, you've got one in which was put in at the end of 2019. Are you aware of if there are many filings at the moment in the pipeline? What kind of activity are we expecting to see in regards to new uh, DOL captive programs in 2020, do you think? So we have a couple um, in in the Department of Labor right now. I think, uh, you know, because many employers are looking, you know, just in light of the coronavirus environment and the need to create savings for companies and the likelihood that carriers are, are going to substantially increase premiums because they you know, and many benefits like uh, health insurance, disability, life insurance are seeing an increase, you know, are likely to see an increase in cost because of for underwriting experience for, you know, a once in a hundred year event combined with poor investment experience. 
I think that we're going to see an uptick in these filings now that the DOL has a few things moving forward. Um, I think you know, that we're likely to see many uh, folks applying in order to reduce their employee benefits costs, um, you know, for their employees in the long run. That's interesting, Karen. So you think there will be, because I think there's there's two ways to look at this. And I've been looking at the employee benefits discussion, not just from a US perspective, but but much broadly as well. And I had a discussion with some employee benefits folks in Europe a couple of weeks or over the last couple of weeks. And of course, there's a balance, isn't there, between the exposure that the managing the health and, and well-being of your employees and, and getting that right in the most efficient way possible, while hopefully improving their benefits. But also, there could be extra exposure to these programs and extra exposure to these captives because of the coronavirus pandemic. So, But you think that in the long run, this should still prove to be the more efficient and better approach to, to fund it through the captive. Yes, I do. I think in the long run, it's more efficient because, you know, if it's in the commercial uh, market, the commercial insurers are going to be more conservative than a, a captive might be in projecting losses and in, in calculating reserves. If you looked historically over a long period of time as to what your losses have been, they're probably going to be better than they are this year. Um, many employee benefit plans renew in January, not all, uh, but certainly looking at a long-term view, which captives normally do, I do think that we are projecting, you know, for example, that um, health insurance spends are going to increase, but it's not, we're not going to be in this situation forever, I certainly hope. And I think most people feel that we will not be in this situation forever, that we'll move beyond the pandemic. However, those losses from the pandemic will be included in experience, and therefore rates are likely to come in higher than expected, you know, at renewal time. So thank you very much to Karen Landry, Managing Partner of Spring Consulting Group, for joining me on our latest GCP short. You can find more information on Karen and Spring in the episode description. And please do remember to follow the Global Captive Podcast on LinkedIn and subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice if you haven't already done so. Please stay safe, healthy and see you next time, Captives. Captives.